everyone, welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This episode of The Trusted Advisor is sponsored by ScanSource. ScanSource wants to make it easy for their partners to find the right technologies to build complete solutions, close more deals, and even transition to the cloud. With the industry's most comprehensive selection of technology and a team that's second to none in the channel, VARs, agents, ISOs, and ISVs can be assured they have access to the solutions they need, the support and services they desire, and the tools to bring it all together. And with ScanSource's 2017 acquisition of POS Portal, an industry-leading innovator in merchant services, the company is positioned as a market leader in the point-of-sale and payments channels, providing new opportunities for partners to deliver exceptional service and solutions to their end-user customers. So whether your customers are in the restaurant, retail, healthcare, or grocery industry, ScanSource delivers uniquely tailored point-of-sale, barcode, mobile pay, mobile computing, and printing services to help you provide the total solutions they need. For more information, visit ScanSource.com. That's ScanSource.com. Well, today on the podcast, we have a return guest, a very special guest, someone that RSPA members are starting to know very well, RSPA Legal Counsel, Jill Miller. Welcome back to the pod, Jill. Hello. Always great to talk with you. For those of the uh, folks who aren't aware, Jill was named RSP Legal Counsel in January of this year. And since then, she's been working alongside longtime association legal counsel, Bob Goldberg, who will retire in December. So I'm so glad to talk with you because I enjoy uh, your wisdom. And it's also free legal advice as well, right? You don't get, to, <laughs> right. Don't get a lot of I'll that. Don't start the clock. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, start it now. Bill me in 15-minute uh, increments. But, well, the good thing is, for myself today, for our listeners, for RSPA members, uh, you know, the Jill, uh, the RSPA Legal Counsel services are provided unlimited phone calls uh, at no charge if you're an RSPA member. And so, Jill, you have a behind-the-scenes perspective on a channel that most other people don't. So what are you hearing? What do you what do you see as the most common challenges or the most daunting challenges that VARs and ISVs are facing today? What are common issues that members are, are reaching out to you about? You know, I would say, you know, primarily what I receive a lot of is contract disputes. People are sort of unsure of, um, you know, how they can get out of a contract, if they have any uh, cure opportunity. And so it really runs the gamut from, am I getting paid properly to the services I'm receiving are not um, up to the standards in which I was expecting. And so it's really helping um, members of the RSPA look at their contract and see what rights and obligations did they agree to when they originally entered into the agreement and how can we help them? I mean, many times it's not just a legal issue, um, it's a business issue, and I really try to help uh, navigate through the difference between those because sometimes it's helpful to have a lawyer send a letter um, and say, you know, here's the contract provision, here's the issue, but many times um, members are just trying to get uh, the their vendor or their supplier or their partner to sort of move and do something. And sometimes it's better to just have a business conversation, but if a business person is armed with the knowledge of what rights they have, it's easier for them to have that conversation. 
Got it. Thank you. And I'm glad you framed it up that way in terms of it's not always legal. Uh, you know, it's sometimes it's a business issue because I remember when I was president of a company talking to our owners and they would say, like, you don't want to get the lawyers involved because once you get your lawyers involved, they get their lawyers involved and it takes a whole different path. So I guess, can you share with us maybe some insights into those contract, you know, issues? Is it you giving advice to the RSPA members and then they can go back to the vendor uh, is that oftentimes what you're talking about? You give them counsel, they're better armed to have that business conversation. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, that's exactly right. It's just helping them to either craft um, a response, um, understand maybe what the other side might come back with. And so giving them the ammunition and guidance to say, here are your rights. Um, the other side might interpret it differently and maybe we can um, spin it this way or look at another provision. It's really just arming them. And many times I will look at a provision in a contract and the RSP me RSPA member will say, ah, that's a really good point. Um, here's some other thoughts I have. And so it's really collaborative, um, helping to, um, you know, because our members are very knowledgeable about the business and very knowledgeable about business generally. And so sometimes they just need a little, um, somebody to bounce an idea off of to really get their um, intellectual um, thought process moving. Exactly. Well said. I remember when I first became a business coach a few years ago in the industry, that's what somebody said in terms of oftentimes these business owners don't have anybody to talk through the issue with. Mm -hmm. As long as you can get them talking and maybe ask them a few questions, they're able, yeah. to, able to think out loud. So yeah, that's, right. that's definitely valuable. So contract disputes, you said that's a lot that you're hearing about. Is there a, a close second or anything else uh, that, that fits a category? Like are there HR issues or what else uh, comes up as some of the common issues that, uh, that you're faced with? Yeah, I think there are questions about employees that run the gamut from, do I have to, um, am I allowed to let this person go during COVID? Um, am I able to replace this person? Um, and so it's really just, they're all unique and specific questions. It depends on the state. It depends on the um, some other factors that may influence um, the, if the employee has an employment contract. And so it's really, again, just delving into and taking the emotion out, right? Because when it has to do with employees, people, um, you know, they're concerned about people's livelihood. Um, business owners are concerned about doing what's right for the whole business um, and doing, you know, the right thing in a uh, in the right legal manner. So I, I find that the RSP RSPA members are very thoughtful in their approach to their businesses and and their people, and they take it very seriously. It's not um, a flippant conversation. It's not um, without thorough um soul searching and um and again looking at it from a legal perspective as well got it well thank you for that and so uh contract disputes employee uh situations is there i guess preventative medicine uh, not that you're a doctor but you're essentially a, you know a business doctor are there preventative things that you uh, could recommend to our audience to the vars and isvs listening what are some things that they can do to help keep them out of more contract disputes or to help them make sure that they aren't, you know, uh, having issues with employees? What things can they do in advance? Well, it's, it's like anything, right? An ounce of prevention is, with, is worth a pound of cure, right? So if you, if you think about these things before entering into an agreement or before hiring an employee, 
you're probably better positioned to handle any dispute that might come up again in a contract issue it's it's really taking the time not just signing something right you have to really look at what are you agreeing to what is what are the ram of we're not going to figure everything out on the front end we really aren't because life changes um, business changes companies change leadership change um, but it's really doing the best effort again collaborating with somebody else trying to get another perspective from somebody who maybe has had um, like for example me I may have seen the same contract 50 times so I have 50 different uh, instances in which I can draw from whereas a member may only have seen the particular agreement twice um, and maybe some of their um, co-workers or employees may have seen it two more times so it's really doing our best on the front end and there's always something new that comes up and that's the benefit too of having um, you know a lawyer in the industry look at things because last week something may have changed and then if someone asked me a question I have the benefit of that last experience as well yeah, I almost envision it too. Like if you would pop a hood, you know, I'm no car expert by any means. Somebody pop a hood, I'd look at it and they'd say, what do you think? I'd be like, well, it seems good to me, right? right. But if you have a mechanic, they'd be able to test this, you know, stress test this. And so, yeah, if you've seen all sorts of contracts, you can say, yeah, this looks normal to me, where mm -hmm. I could look at a contract and just say, looks like a contract, I guess I should move ahead. So right. that, that seems great to be able to bounce, to bounce that off. Yes, yes. And, and are there internal systems that you see from some more successful solution providers versus other ones? Like, I guess I've seen a lot of folks who are kind of, you know, playing it by ear, especially from a hiring standpoint, right? They're not really diving into learning more about the person and doing background checks and doing reference checks. Is there anything that you would recommend to folks from an employee standpoint uh, that they could do better? Yeah, I mean, I think that, again, you find the perfect candidate, but they're so excited that you don't follow up on their references or you don't do a background check, like you said. I mean, in the um, payments industry, which I think we'll talk about um, hopefully before the end of our session here, you know, there's a requirement to do background checks because we're dealing in financial um, and monetary transactions. And many of our ISVs and um, resellers in the RSPA are dealing with this. And so you really wanna make sure that you, it's fine if someone has a misdemeanor, um, you know, some no one's perfect. Um, I don't get alarmed if a client says I have something. Um, you know, we just sort of work through it. But if you're trying to hire someone for a financial position and they have a financial crime on their record, that's a no-go. That's just a solid no. Even though the person might be the most amazing salesperson, you, know, you really all we have at the end of the day is our integrity and our reputation, and we it's important to surround ourselves with people who um, we know everything we can know about them. Again, nobody's perfect. I'm not suggesting uh, we need perfection from a prospective employee, but it's worth the effort to you know, talk to other people and um, do a little bit of digging. 
Got it. And so, you know, one of the big themes from an RSPA standpoint is you don't have to go it alone. And like Jill said, so for RSP members, she's available uh, for those phone calls. We also have for members in our members only uh, section of our website, we have legal templates, a wide range of them. Like you have to scroll down the page in order to see all of them. Um, and so that can help you, especially from a contractual standpoint. And then we have a lot of resources related to hiring in terms of uh, recruiting, uh, assessment tools, uh, interviewing questions, and a whole process that you can follow instead of just sitting down with a person for an hour and saying like, they seem good, right? We hit it off pretty well. Let's make the job offer. We can right. help you, you know, with that preventative medicine. So uh, let me ask you, Jill, are you also, uh, are you still fielding many questions related to PPP loans and the EIDL, the emergence, uh, you know, emergency disaster loans? There's a ton of activity around those earlier this year. Is that calmed down? Or are you still hearing about those? Yeah, that's calmed down uh, to a, a extreme degree. Um, there hasn't been any really new guidance um, out since uh, mid to late summer. Um, we at my firm, we have on our website at bodmanlaw.com, we have an entire um, page dedicated to COVID resources. And there are um, significant number of uh, papers, white papers written by other attorneys talking about PPP loans, criteria, the, you know, when they came out with listing who had received those loans. And so any updates that might occur would also be out there. I think you would find a wealth of information out there. Um, if you're sitting uh, around on Sunday afternoon watching some football, just get your laptop up and just go to um, the website. There's, I think they're well-written and easy to understand um, documents out there. Okay, and you're calling, uh, we're connecting today, you're in the Detroit area, and I'm guessing, yeah. you know, know, knowing the Lions, the way that they play sometimes, you know, reviewing PPP white papers might be better for you than trying to watch the Lions uh, blow a until, lead. Until the last minute, right? Last that week, is, right? That is the true, yeah. As, as we're recording this, right. they just uh, had a touchdown <laughs> as, as time expired. So one of the more exciting games in, uh, in recent Lions history, yeah. but, but we digress. So, okay, yeah. so you're not a lot about that. Are you fielding questions about data privacy laws like GDPR, the California Consumer Privacy Act? And, and if you aren't, should you be? Like, uh, how concerned should RSPA members be about these new privacy, data privacy regulations? Yeah, I mean, I think data privacy generally is very important, um, regardless if you have to comply with specific requirements of GDPR or CCPA. And um, you know, I would just say generally people should have a privacy policy on their website and not just slap something out there, really understand, you know, like you said, lift up the hood and see exactly what you're doing with your data um, and make sure you put that on your website and make sure that you tell your um, internal teams, this is how we handle, you know, personal identifiable information. People get concerned about consumer data. Now, in terms of compliance with CCPA, I think when initially it came out, everybody was like, oh my gosh, we have to comply. But there are some um, thresholds that you need to meet um, in order to have an obligation to comply. Um, first of which is, so that you have to meet one of these three things in order to have to follow and adhere to the regulations, which is one, um, you have, you if you, have more than $25 million in annual gross revenue, um, you have to comply. And there's been some debate, you know, you think these laws are written so that you could just, you know, pull it up and read and have the answer. But the question that came up repeatedly is, is it all revenue or is it just California revenue? 
Um, we have, uh, through my uh, data privacy network, which is folks at other firms and folks at my firm, um, we've all been with the assumption that it's any kind of revenue. So if you have $25 million more revenue, you need to comply. Um, the second threshold is, I wrote this down, so if you receive or disclose the personal information of 50,000 or more California residents, households, or devices, then you have to comply. That was one I couldn't exactly remember. Um, and the third is if you make 50% or more of your revenue from disclosing or selling um, California residents' personal information. So if you meet one of those thresholds, then you need to comply. If you don't, then you know it's not something that you need to be concerned with because there are certain um, specific elements of complying with California that you know takes some time and effort and energy and resources that um, that if you don't have to comply, I don't think that it lessens your um, privacy standards. I think that there's just additional hoops. If you um, have systems in place and and have a privacy plan, I think it's a it's a it's no matter the size of the business. I think that's necessary. Um, and then GDPR, uh, which is the um, EU um, privacy law, that has to do with if you're transmitting data back or processing data back and forth between the EU and the US for our uh, members. And so if you're not doing that, then there is no obligation to comply with GDPR. Now, compliance isn't, I think, I remember when that first came out, it was this very thick, um, you know, favor spelled F-A-V-O-U-R kind of thing, right? And really reading, I just remember like putting all these personal hours and just thinking, I just don't understand this, but it's been out long enough that we've had enough exposure, we've had enough um, sort of other people writing about it that I don't think it's overly exhaustive to comply. I mean, you have to be a bigger business, right? Um, somebody who has a $5 million business um, who's not transmitting overseas, you know, you're fine. You don't have to worry about that. But um, I think we have a lot more standardized processes to be able to comply with GDPR than we had maybe a couple of years ago. So, okay. Okay. yeah. So I'll speak for our, our small VAR and ISV members, but kind of through my own experience. So I was self-employed, uh, started my own business a couple years ago, and so started looking into these privacy requirements. And so mm -hmm. I'm hoping you can help me with my whiplash here. So on one end, I was like, oh my gosh, these are big, scary regulations. If I don't you know, cross every T and dot every I, somebody's going to come after yeah. me. And then on the other side, it was like, yeah, but this is only for going against after really the Facebooks of the world. So I should be fine. But then I'd go back to, but if I step over this, you know, and there's a regulation and everybody has their own individual privacy, I could have one person sue me and I'm in trouble. And then I go back to, you know, the folks who served as mentors for me and they were like, yeah, you know, the legal stuff, it's all new. No one's really going to come after us. It's all going to get sorted out. So you'll be fine. Like I was always in this, like I said, this ping ponging back and forth of what to do. And it can be really scary. And I'd say it's more paralyzing than anything. So I guess, can yeah. you help? I almost feel like I'm having like a counseling session with you now. Like, can you help me get centered on this? But what would you say to somebody who has that same mindset as me that they're scared, 
on one end and fearing a lot of the you know regulations that they're just right. not really familiar with and then also they're like well i'm an smb so i shouldn't be in any trouble i guess i can just you know not pay attention to any of this stuff where's what's the right balance there jill yeah i always say to people um as long as you're doing something and moving in the right direction i think we're in good shape and so i think it's something as simple as having a conversation and saying um you know and getting comfortable right i i don't you know what information do i maintain right i don't do credit card processing all i do is i have their name and address and i'm not sending marketing information and you know so then we start to say okay right this isn't a big risk or exposure let's at least put on our website you know if we do collect information what we would do with it we wouldn't sell it to a third party so i say it's something as simple as having a very short conversation and just sort of walking through what information you collect and again, you have to, if, if we do find through an analysis that it, you are, you know, collecting some personal information you want to market, then you start working towards that. It's, it's a stepping process. It's not like, boom, you have to have a huge, pri you have to have a compliance officer, you have to have a, a chief privacy officer, you know, it's really starting with doing something and then making a step in the right direction. And I feel like if a regulator came to you and you were a small to medium-sized business, you would say, I've analyzed my data, the information I collect, here's the things I've put in place, here's our future. And I think that's a, um, a, a good argument to have to say, as opposed to, yeah, we didn't think we should comply, it's really this big law. It's, it's you know, you have, you can't stick your head in the sand. Got it. So you've got to pay attention to the regulations, but they shouldn't, uh, you know, totally constrict you no. from I can't, I can't no. move forward. Because I right. can tell you, I remember going through these laws before, and there was a, a reseller who I met at an RMH conference, a Retail Management Hero, many years ago, and he was from Denmark, and I had him on my email list. And I'm going through and thinking, like, I got to get him out of there, right? Because if I send an email to Denmark, they're going to come down on me because I'm holding on to some, right. some EU info. So. Right. All right. Well, I, I feel better. And again, we're a little over 15 minutes in. So this is still a free conversation. If uh, you weren't an RSP <laughs> member, this would cost you about 100 bucks so far. Uh, so speaking of uh, spending 100 bucks, uh, let's pause here for a moment to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSP has expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, a security advisor, and a VAR and ISV business advisor that's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a year. That's 68 cents a day for these high value services. Also, thanks to our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, Shift 4 Payments, and the special sponsor of this episode, scan source and then finally the rsp has launched the rsp solution center an online platform designed to introduce vars and isvs to innovative solutions and collect them with and connect them with the providers of these solutions you'll find product details videos white papers case studies channel ex, uh, executive contact information and more to grow your channel business google rspa solution center today and to receive the benefits of an rsp membership or rsp sponsorship email membership at gorspa.org. That's membership at gorspa.org. And if I was making fun earlier of the uh, the Lions, if you're a Jets fan, you definitely want to be hopping around the RSPA website uh, on a Sunday, the only winless team 
so far in the, in the NFL. But once again, once again, I digress. Who knows? After this podcast drops, maybe the Jets will go on a winning streak, sneak into the playoffs, and and win the Super Bowl. But I'll I'll take the under. So all right, Joe, back to you. So um, you mentioned payments earlier, and you have a quite a bit of experience in the payments world. Can you first share with our listeners and viewers details of your payments experience before we dive into to some of those questions, please? Sure. So um, I graduated from law school and uh, was trying to figure out ooh, what kind of uh, area of law am I going to practice in? I had an undergrad in accounting, so I was moved into a finance group and then just started working with um, a group that was doing a lot of work in the payment space. And uh, once I sort of figured out all of the nomenclature and the terminology, um, I really started to fall in love with the entrepreneurial clients that were uh, coming to the firm. And then I started to attend trade shows. So I started to attend all of the regional shows, the ETA show, um, the RSPA shows, all of the sh money 2020 and really started to, um, again, I think when you think about payments and payments, it's really, you know, I, my first entree is really just, knowing enough about payments to be useful with relationships, giving introductions, knowing other lawyers at the uh, processing companies. But, you know, really, then it turns into general counsel work. It's really all about contracts and um, driving revenue to the business and, again, helping with HR issues and helping with new entity setups, helping with, um, any kind, you know, hardware, software, um, every kind of contract that can happen. So um, I think, you know, the that's why uh, representing RSP ma RSPA members is really easy. It's an easy transition because all of the concerns and issues are really business issues. Um, you know, the payments experience has been helpful, and many of the RSPA members, I think, has started to move uh, to drive revenue from that new um, vertical and uh, business line, rather. And so many of them are just getting into payments or have done payments but are really now starting to focus some of their business um, resources to that line of business. And so I've been helping a lot of members with different kinds of payment issues that come up, like um, can I surcharge, uh, can a merchant surcharge its customers? Um, can we provide cash discounts? Um, you know, I think that in the payment space, the most important thing are the residuals. How am I going to get paid and how do I protect that asset? Um, as well as my customer list is, you know, another really important asset. Um, so, you know, I've been doing it for 15 years. I'm a, um, an advisory, board, advisory committee member on the Southeast Acquires Association. Um, I've been a member of ETA, I've been a member of WNET, I've served on committees, um, and just sort of just been around the industry in, um, for 15 years. And for a little bit, I did a little bit of aviation work, but my passion is really here in, um, you know, payments and uh, ISVs, VARs, resellers, those kinds of clients are my, um, where my heart is. Yeah, well, payments and aviation can both be bumpy rides. Yeah. Right? There's a lot of a lot of turbulence in, in both markets. Yeah. So, 
Can you talk about the unique perspective and I guess what you're seeing where you've worked with the visas and MasterCards of the world, like the biggest of the big, and then you're working mm -hmm. with somebody who's maybe, you know, has a partner, it's a family organization, I guess. Can you talk about making those two worlds kind of connect with one another? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where I can give a lot of value is to the smaller, um, you know, folks who don't have a lot of resources. And it can be, you know, just a quick conversation and just helping them build their knowledge base or their connections. Um, you know, there was one of our um, Canadian members who needed um, a contact in Canada. And so I had somebody and um, made the introduction and, you know, just the member, RSPA member was just so appreciative and thankful and would have never maybe had the opportunity to connect. I mean, and that's what these member, you know, these sort of organizations are all about. It's about connections. It's about sharing the mutual um, relationships that we develop with our with our partners, with our friends, with our um, co-members. And, and really, that's I think something that I really enjoy helping the smaller uh, folks with, and really protecting their asset. Um, a, a small ISO or a small ISV or a small reseller, you know, they're out there hustling every day and it is, um, it would be heartbreaking for them to not have full um, access and guarantee of their income, you know, in the future. And so really for me, it's protecting, I take it personally too, right? Like if something bad happens to them, I just get all fired up and I have to remember, okay, Jill, it's not you personally, like you didn't cause this issue. You're trying to help them resolve it. So again, I get very passionate about helping folks protect what they've put their hard work and talent and time into. Um, and I can help by a contract or by um, an introduction or by having a contact on the other side that we're adverse to that I can talk to reasonably. Um, so that's sort of, uh, you know, how I help the little guy. Yeah. Well, thanks for, for sharing that. And I guess there's a perspective of, you know, uh, resellers and ISVs have many different vendor relationships yeah. and not that not, you know, you, I won't say any of them are not important, but that payment residual kind of rises above the rest of them because it very much serves as a lifeblood in terms of they could lose one of those residual, you know, uh, you know, opportunities and try to replace with something else. But replacing that payments, especially we saw that this year from a COVID standpoint, mm -hmm. there are, you know, a lot of SMBs who who live and die by that. So they really need to protect it. I guess part of that, you know, drives you in terms of why it's so important uh, because yeah. it is, you know, for many people, a, a giant percentage of their, of their business, of their, uh, of their organization. And that's why you can't just sign a contract, right? Cause you could be out there hustling and maybe you have no idea that the bottom could drop out at any moment. And that's why you have to, those are the people who really need someone to look at their contract because residuals should be paid forever as far as I can, can say. <laughs> yeah, and just yesterday, uh, I had a reseller who left me a voicemail, called them back. They've been a, a fairly new member of the association. They've been a VAR for years, but they've never gotten to the POS space, and they got it to the mm -hmm. RSPA so they could learn more about it. And they were talking about signing a contract with a payment processor, and they said, I really just need somebody to tell me, you know, what percentages are better. And I said, well, it depends on percent of 
what, right? And right. it depends on the other fees that go along with it. Like, don't go with this alone. And I, I share with him your contact information. So mm -hmm. again, just a, well, to tie in with your aviation thing, nobody should hop into a plane and go, yeah, it seems like I can fly this. Oh, right. look at this. Like it's moving. I'm there like, do you know how to land this? Uh-oh, you know, haven't, haven't figured that part out yet. So right. uh, just a couple more questions for you, Jill. And th this one is about uh, tying in with payment processing. So it's added a ton of complexity to our channel, you know, when it first started 10 to 15 years ago, and things haven't gotten simpler over time. So what are some payment related legal issues that should be top of mind for VARs in 2021? What should they be watching out for? Yeah, I mean, I would say, you know, I always say residuals, residuals, residuals. I mean, that's really the, the bottom line there. Um, confidentiality, being able to, um, Oh, being able to protect your assets, um, you know, surcharging is a big issue. Um, a lot of making sure you, you are compliant with Visa and MasterCard, American Express and Discover and JCB card brand rules. Um, really, it's, it's, you know, the industry, there's a, this payment facilitator that's been around for a long time now, um, at least 10 years. I remember having my daughter and um, someone was calling me while I was on maternity leave asking me about this new aggregator and what a payment facilitator does. Um, so it's, you know, maybe early termination fees, making sure they comply with state laws. Um, you know, in terms of industry disruptors, um, you know, who's coming in, um, you know, Square came along again when the whole payment facility aggregator came through and people said, oh, my goodness, we're going to lose the whole ISO channel. You know, people need people. And so that hasn't gone away. Um, you know, people are concerned about consolidation from the big processors. I think we've, you know, what's happened is people just have to learn how to deal with a new relationship. Um, and make sure that their reporting they're getting is still um, sufficient for them to manage their business. Um, I think those are some of the big, you know, items that continue to pop up on a on a uh, recurring basis. Thank you. Yeah, and certainly a, a long list there. Um, I, I know we're running short on time, but can you explain what a payment facilitator is to our audience, or have heard them called Payfax? before yes. i've met them before i've looked up the definition i've engaged with them and if somebody would ask me i would still have this really kind of mushy definition of it that probably wouldn't help the listener so i'm hoping you can help our listeners and viewers uh what's your perspective on what is a payment facilitator you were calling them an aggregator again some call yeah. them paybacks a payment facilitator or payback is a company who enters into agreements with sub merchants to process payment transactions. A sub-merchant is typically somebody, well, they can't process more than a million dollars in Visa and MasterCard transactions. So you are, a sub-merchant is typically somebody who is um, a hairdresser maybe, or somebody who is selling goods and wares at a um, outside, um, you know, swap me kind of location. So a payment facilitator is able to process payments on behalf of a bunch of sub merchants and they take liability for those sub merchants underneath them. So if you are a payment facilitator, you take liability for all the people underneath you, all the merchants. So you have to have a really sophisticated underwriting process, 
um, to be able to manage that risk. Thank you. So and I guess I, I've, I've seen ISVs then become payfacts because instead of them, you know, signing on a merchant and the merchant having to get approved, they just say, no, you're, you know, we're a payment facilitator. You instantly can start accepting payments. Yeah. But that ISV can't just do that on the side, right? They have to have internal operation structures, controls, personnel addressing all those different things. And from what I understand is they get essentially a bigger residual oftentimes from the payment processor, but they have a yes. lot of overhead, a lot of risk as well. Am yep. I explaining that aspect yes. of it correctly? Absolutely, yes. Got it. Yes, it's not something you jump into. <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, <laughs> the analogy I would always use to people to explain them, I'm like, I said, it's like you run a daycare center and somebody says, you know what would really help if we, you know, to help funnel business to our daycare center? If we had a place where women gave birth, right? And so <laughs> that on you're like oh wait a second if you're gonna do that you gotta have to add on all these doctors and nurses and whatever whatever like you right. can't just say we're gonna do this thing so right. i'm sure that analogy falls apart somewhere but it, it resonated with <laughs> the folks i talked with that's a good yeah. one i like it yeah just don't don't get it learn about payfax learn about that model explore if it might be a good thing for you or explore how those organizations might impact uh might impact your business. Mm -hmm. But again, you don't have to do this alone. So Jill, my last question for you, how can RSP members connect with you to discuss their legal issues and, and talk about contracts? I think the best way is to contact me via email at jmiller at bodmanlaw.com. And I'm uh, really doing my best to respond in very short order so that you can understand how quickly we can maybe set up a call. Or if you put your question in the email, it's very easy for me to just respond to that. Um, if it requires a more lengthy conversation, then we can set up a time and we can either Zoom or we can um, just get on the phone and, and work out whatever questions you might have. Fantastic. Wonderful. Well, we hope to our listeners and viewers that you enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you would rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point of sale channel, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Jill Miller for joining us today and sharing her wisdom. Also, thanks to RSPA marketing manager Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for his music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point of sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks again for listening and goodbye, everybody.